Pain Talk, a podcast for patients living with pain and those that care for them. Now here's your host, palliative and emergency care physician, Dr. Maureen Allen. Welcome back, everyone. We'll end our three-part podcast talking with rheumatologist Dr. Trudy Taylor today, exploring therapies to improve quality of life. One of the things I always say to patients is that you got to find an activity that feels safe to you, because it, 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 you know, it's, it's got to be something that, you know, so maybe the water feels safe, you know, but uh, walking doesn't feel safe, you know, these, yeah. these kinds of things. But uh, anyway, we could talk about this forever because I do, I'm, I'm a nerd around this stuff too, as well as you are. <laughs> So, <laughs> we both are, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I just, I think it's wonderful when patients kind of are ready to kind of understand the differences and yeah. when they're ready to kind of try something different. I always tell them, just, just be open to something different. I'm going to have a conversation with you that you've probably never had with anybody else before, yeah. but uh, to be open to the conversation and to see possibility and other things that we can be doing. And when a patient is ready to kind of make that shift, um, it is it is amazing uh, to me that they can get some quality back to their life. I mean, their life may not be the same way it was prior to developing persistent pain, but it doesn't mean that they can't have a quality. And I always say, you know, if you get diagnosed with a condition like insulin-dependent diabetes, well, your life changes at that moment. It doesn't mean you can't have a quality to your life. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just that means you've got to make some adaptations uh, that sort of uh, are able to kind of accept that, okay, these are some limitations, but it doesn't have to be a total total shutdown, you know? Yeah. I, and I think you hit on a really important point, which is when, when people are ready to yeah. kind yeah. of, to, um, accept and uh, accept that. Cause I, you know, sometimes that takes time, especially in, in my experience when I'm, cause m- most of my experiences with people who have inflammatory arthritis, obviously, cause that's my, my area specialty. And, you know, we've just been so intensive on getting inflammation under control it takes time to wrap your head around. Okay, we've we've achieved that goal, but it hasn't it hasn't um, improved pain and function yeah. the way that we wanted it to. We need to we need to switch gears, and and that I think can take some some time to get to that place of yeah. you know we we were dedicating so much time and effort and education around inflammation that the other piece can can fall by the wayside and i've tried to get better about approaching that early on yeah um, well but, patients but want you hard. to fix it right so, yeah. so they're so yeah. when they're seeing specialties and subspecialties and they come to us almost to the pain clinic as a last resort they feel like everybody's mm-hmm. given up on them when in fact it may be an opportunity for them to have actually more quality to their life but i think all of us in healthcare need to understand the process of persistent pain and yeah. how it can coexist with so many chronic conditions but the conversations we have with patients can be so huge early on in the condition. Um, one of the things that I, one of the best handouts that I've ever found was actually from a UK um, physician talking about low back pain. So this was information to give patients. And he had a whole section on the prevention of chronic pain. So I wow. said, my, so these are patients that are coming into the eMERGE with acute pain. And that section about chronic pain and how chronic pain happens, I thought that is just, we should be doing that with all the information we give patients with the, you know, with some acute conditions that are obviously causing them to seek out care that involve pain. 
and mm-hmm. how they can um, minimize their risk of chronic pain, um, but still, you know, pursue those therapies that might make a difference to their acute pain. But I just love this handout, and I think every professional should should I, develop a handout. That sounds that. phenomenal, and I think yeah. you know, no, yeah. knowing that upfront. Yeah, I think that this is, is a separate is, entity. It's a risk yeah, factor for your acute pain. It's a pain. risk factor. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it could happen. And but here's and how you prevent is, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's yeah. that's. Uh, yeah. I'll have to send it to you. Great. I'd love to see that. It's yeah. so good. It's called yeah. the back. I, mean, I think it's called the back book. Um, and I, I don't know. How, oh, it was a physiotherapist that show. I've learned so much from physiotherapists and yes. occupational therapists. Uh, she had showed me this, and I went, I love the language in this. It's just so awesome. And yeah. and what it does, it empowers patients to realize how they think and feel has a huge impact in how they uh, will experience and how how they'll experience pain, but also how they can drive pain. Um, so just very simple, basic stuff. And I remember one patient saying to me, well, she said, this is all common sense. And I said, yeah, but sometimes when you're feeling pain, you're in survival mode. You're not thinking exactly. common sense. You're thinking about, I'm going to die. Like this is, I've never had a pain like this ever in my life, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm just, I'm going to ask you something. I know I'm really cautious of your time, so I don't want to take too much, but I'm That's enjoying fine. the conversation. Me too. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to come to COVID just for a quick second, just sure. in terms of what your perception would be. So when we talk about the cytokine cytokine surge that we're seeing with COVID patients around seven mm-hmm. days into the infection, is there anything that we should be looking for? I'm just thinking about these patients with these inflammatory conditions. And here we are. I, I know that this is one of the reasons why the hydroxychloroquine works is that you're getting a, a, a calming of that um, cytokine, that inflammatory mm-hmm. response. But are there things that we should be thinking about with our, our patients who are living with these inflammatory conditions as well, well as this pharmacology? You know, it's been so interesting to, to because I think we're in some ways lucky to live where we do because we can see the experience in other yeah. areas before it has kind of hit and gotten to this to that um, that extreme point here in Nova Scotia. Um, so it's been interesting to follow what's been happening, you know, around the the understanding of sort of the that small proportion of patients that can develop the cytokine storm. Um, yeah. And, um, and also then to see how they're, you know, thinking outside the box to try and manage that because they are actually, there are actually ongoing studies looking at using some of the biologics that we use that target those cytokines um, to try and prevent damage from happening. Um, So, so it's kind of, it's been, it's been very interesting times, I think, um, Mm -hmm. to see how it, it's really broadened people's understanding of, you know, inf- the inciting infection, but then all of the inflammatory changes that can happen that are not related necessarily to the, to the infection itself. Yeah. And, and yeah. it is a little bit in, akin to the, the idea of the inciting event that that causes the development of chronic pain. And then, you know, like the, then exactly. you're dealing with the pain. The, the so gliopathy, it, they often yeah, talk about right? the glial cell act. Yeah. Dis- dysregulation. Yeah. 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 So that, so in this case, it's the, the cytokine storm that, you know, is more of the problem. And so it seems a little bit counterintuitive to use medications that target cytokines because those are immunosuppressive medications yeah. and using them in someone who has an infection, which normally we would want to avoid, but in this case, it actually may, who knows, theoretically could be life-saving. So that's kind of been interesting. But your question was really more about patients who have autoimmune diseases. 
honestly, we don't have a lot of data about that. Um, so we don't have, um, there, there is a, actually a worldwide registry that has been developed to, um, and, and we are able to contribute to that locally. So for any um, existing patients, so patients who have rheumatic disease that develop COVID and collecting information about that. So mm. about what meds they're on and how they did clinically with their COVID presentation. But there really hasn't been a lot of data that's come out relating to that. And so from a patient perspective, it really that there's not a big difference in how you would approach the approach the concerns around COVID than the general population. So um, do the same measures to try and minimize the risk of exposure, um, you know, with the good hand washing and physical distancing and avoiding or cleaning high touch areas regularly, all those same um, public health measures that have been discussed. And then the other piece is continuing on their medication. Yeah. Um, so we don't stop the medication. And then yeah. from a physician perspective, um, it's, it's very similar. We don't, I mean, we, the only reason that we would stop DMARDs or immunosuppressive medication, including biologics, would be if someone had an infection, then we would, we would consider stopping. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And, and that I think would be, I mean, I would expect that to, like, I would love to have a conversation about that. Yeah. Um, mm. Because there's there actually is new a new guidance um, document that's come out for, out of the American College of Rheumatology about what to do with uh, therapies for existing rheumatic disease patients it, relating to COVID and some of the our therapies are actually very mild in their effect on the immune system and may be okay to continue so it's hard to make a blanket right. statement about yeah. it so I think having that conversation <laughs> but I think if if someone was an extremist then we would stop all of those medications so how long would it take if, if you suddenly stopped uh, biological uh, does their immune system come back to pre-treatment function uh, almost uh, immediately yeah. or no and yeah. so that's part of the I mean so, and it, it depends on the biologic. Again, it's hard to make right. a blanket statement yeah. about it because it depends on their half-life, kind of the pharmacology of it. And uh, so it can take weeks to months. It's hard because it's it's unlikely to have an, an immediate effect for sure. You know, when I think of patients that come in the emergency, I was just thinking about a patient we had here recently who was put on uh, oral prednisone. And I know prednisone is more uh, sort of a, a immune suppressive, but she'd been on it for probably about two months for um, what I asked her was like, because uh, for joint pain or something. But anyway, she came in actually uh, with a condition that you knew was a very, very stressful condition. Uh, for her body, she actually had had uh, 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 an acute uh, myocardial infarct. Mm-hmm. And so then we get into stress dosing these oh, patients. Okay. And I'm just thinking about these patients with these overwhelming infections that are on these immunotherapies. Should we be stress dosing? Or uh, it's really tough, tough, isn't it? I guess we don't yeah. know yet. <laughs> I mean, well, the st- so the stress dosing would only be related to steroids, not related right. to any Nothing other yet, yeah. therapies. Yeah. yeah. So that's okay. the first thing. Okay. Because really that idea of stress dosing is around... Um, if you're on chronic uh, steroid therapy, then it suppresses our own ability to yes, produce cortisol, yes, right? Yes, and so yes, it's that cortisol yeah. response. So, yeah. um, and then, yeah, I mean, I I think if it's someone that's it presenting with a, a severe infection, 
um, it's something at least to consider. I mean, the other piece of stress dosing steroids is, uh, you know, I think we used to give way higher doses of st to stress dose people than are than is actually required. Okay. Um, and so I think one of the pieces that's helpful there is just monitoring to see if you see any symptoms that make you think that they may have uh, low cortisol levels um, and uh, and kind of managing them from that perspective. Okay. But and, and I think using similar dosing that they would use like in an ICU setting. Right. Um, yeah. 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 So I, hydrocortisone, which is like a, a very low potency steroid. And yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. That's what we ended up giving her a low dose. Yeah. Um, my goodness. Yeah. We were going down a rabbit hole. I'm just thinking of all these <laughs> clinical situations. We're all trying to find our own I way. Know. I guess yeah. it's really changed. And I tell you, it's, um, it's interesting working in that, uh, emergency department now. And, uh, I, the, the, the funniest part about it is that there, we've been fighting for so long around certain kind of processing kinds of things that we've written, we've kind of run up against all these roadblocks within the health authority. And well, that's all changed now. I know. <laughs> I've never I seen mean, anything move so fast <laughs> i know and you know i do think like to be fair like this is these are terrible times um, yeah. and terribly stressful times but there are some silver linings oh. there really are and uh, and that's one of them is the i think our you know we started off talking about the technology and technology piece and yeah. and people becoming more um accustomed to technology but i think our our access to technology has also changed and oh. so well, you and know hopefully that's going to change help us um yeah. in the future and help yeah. us dig out of this hole yeah. of uh it's you know, also highlighted highlighted the value of having an integrated healthcare system and public health system yes. uh, like I, I you know and i've never been so appreciative of you know our public health officials and um yes. just the information that's come out and how everybody is just kind of pulled together it's just insane i just it am really so is. grateful i look at all the madness that's happening you know south of us and i, I have a sister in new york and one in california and i just i am fearful for their safety yeah. um it's just it kind of is insane when you really re, you really recognize the inequities uh within their healthcare system um and how people are accessing care it's just incredibly sad to see what's happening in the states yeah yes. so trudy just one last question actually and then i'll let you go i could talk to you all day <laughs> um so have you has the rheumatology um service set anything up for patients if they're looking for information um, within Nova Scotia or is it just do they is there anything that they can access about the service? You mean related to COVID or in uh, general? Just in general do you? Oh do yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. So um, we work with the Arthritis Society so they've got some great information. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then the other places uh, that I think are really helpful and that I use and often give information give the websites to patients are there's two websites. One is room info r-h-e-u-m-i-n-f-o.com mm -hmm. this is a phenomenal website it's it was developed by um one of my rheumatology colleagues in london ontario but it's got great information both for for like healthcare practitioners as well as patients about diseases about um medications every medication that we use is on there there's quick nice. fact sheets on there. There's actually videos. And he has f some phenomenal videos about COVID on there too. So that's a really great oh, resource. And so wonderful. I really highly yeah. recommend it. His name is Andy Thompson, and he's a great rheumatologist and a great educator. And so he's he's just got a great way of explaining things. Um, so I, I really highly recommend that both for for healthcare pr practitioners and for, for patients or or. Uh, 
-hmm. or family members to take a look at. The other one um, that uh, may be helpful, but is probably more helpful for healthcare practitioners than anything is room tutor, R-H-E-U-M-T-U-T-O-R.com. And that one um, was developed by one of my um, rheumatology colleagues in um, Hamilton out of McMaster, uh, Raj Carmona, who's a rheumatologist there. And it's got more around um, sort of disease activities there, uh, disease activity measurements and therapy, but he has these great, this great series of videos on joint fit, the musculoskeletal physical exam and joint injection techniques that are, can be really great. Um, Mm -hmm. if you want to like brush up or if you're going to be doing a joint injection and you want to take a quick look at that, it's a, it's great. And I mean, I think it's nice for, for patients to be able to see that too, um, and have an idea. So, so that's another really phenomenal website that I think is, um, very well done and, uh, and very useful. Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, thank you for all your time. I appreciate it so much. And uh, oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. So yeah. I might pick your brain at some other point, but I'll let, I'll let you kind of not be overwhelmed by my picking your brain too much. <laughs> I know. I, I really enjoy it. I, and, I, and I love chatting with you. So I'm happy to do it anytime. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Pain Talk. To learn more about our podcast and to find links mentioned in today's show, please visit our website at paintalk.ca.